Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes of the President's Club. My name is Armand Froke, and I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski. Today, we have a heck of an episode, a teardown on how to write good emails with Kyle Coleman. Kyle was previously the head of sales development over at Looker, and today he is the VP of Revenue Growth and Enablement over at Clary. Nick, why the heck should people listen? Well, Kyle takes us deeper than any guest has ever gone around subject lines, voicemail strategy, email formatting. This guy goes deep. If you're looking to get better with your outbound messaging, especially around email, you got to listen to this one. Let's do it. Three, two, one, roll it. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90-Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press command H and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox. If I don't get a reply in two days, that means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time, every time you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. All right, Kyle, welcome to the show. We are really excited to talk with you today. We start every single show with your top three actionable sales tips. So let's get your three. What's number one? 
All right. Number one, you have to build your muscle for personalization. It's I know there's a lot out there about what personalization is, but a pretty easy rule to live by is what I call the five by five by five rule. And what this means is you do five minutes of research on a person or on an account. You find five pieces of information, five insights about that person or account, and then you spend five minutes writing that message. And what this allows you to do is it allows you to actually scale personalization because you're taking the time once to do all the research that you need to do in order to write a whole series of personalized outreach. So five by five by five, five minutes of research, five insights, five minutes of writing, do it all over again. Love it. What's number two, Kyle? Number two, a Chris Voss special. You have to get comfortable in any sales role, SDR, inside sales, enterprise sales, get comfortable mirroring. This is when you're handling an objection. Just repeat the last few words that the prospect just said to you. Repeat it back to them. So when they say, you know, I'm not interested, just say, not interested? And see what happens. It's incredible when you just mirror those last couple words and just shut up and allow them to talk the amount of information that they will give you. So get comfortable mirroring. Love that one. Round us out. What's number three, Kyle? Number three. Time is your most precious asset. And if you want to get something done, you have to schedule it. Like use your calendar to actually schedule your days out. Take it seriously and then abide by those blocks that you set for yourself. And if you need a little methodology for prioritization, there's something called the Eisenhower matrix that Dwight D. Eisenhower, former president, Nick, for your edification, that he used in order to prioritize how he went about doing things. And it's this simple two by two grid where you chart things by how important they are and how urgent they are. And that will help you determine, is this something you do yourself? Is this something you schedule for later? Is this something you delegate to somebody else? Or is this something that you just completely don't do because it's not important and it's not urgent? So don't be busy for the sake of being busy. Be busy and also be productive. And you have to do that with intent. Kyle, that was a phenomenal top three. That was one of the best ones we've had. I want to dig into this five by five by five thing, because it's really quite interesting. So I'm listening to this. I'm hearing it. I've written it down. How do I actually go out and put this into practice? I need to open up my Salesforce. I'm looking at my accounts. Like, can you walk me through the gritty details around that? Like what that looks like? Yeah, for sure. It depends a lot on what the person reveals about themselves on various social channels. And I'm not just talking about LinkedIn either. I'm talking about Twitter. I'm talking about Facebook, whatever you can find on a person. Some people are are more forthcoming about their personal life than others. So if you can find literal personal things about them, like you can't spell personalization without personal. If you can find personal things about that person, where did they grow up? What sports teams are they fans of? What charities do they care about? If you can find things about them and then gear your opening parts of your written communication via email or LinkedIn or whatever it is around those things, that's the key to the castle. That's what's differentiated. My definition of personalization is that you couldn't send that same message to another person and it still makes sense. If you can abide by that rule, then you've actually created a personalized message. One of the tricks you can use, I believe both Outreach and Salesloft have this functionality, is you can go and see as you're dialing somebody, you can pull up the last email that you sent them. And if you've done a good job of layering your tailoring in each email, you can be like, boom. In my last email, I called out the fact that you have a Corgi, Kyle, right? And so you can constantly have the emails mirror the voicemails, which is another thing you talk about a lot, right? 
Yeah, that's exactly right. Like personalization is also meant to be done in every channel that you're using in your outreach. So a lot of people think, well, I'm just going to, I'll write the personal email, but I'm just going to leave the same templated voicemail. And that's a big mistake. Like you want your messaging to be consistent across all the channels that you're using. So the voicemails that you leave, talk about the same bits of research that you uncovered, make it personal about them. Same is true with like the videos that you send. Use all that research in all the different channels that you're pursuing, and that maximizes the familiarity that they have with you and maximizes their chance of responding. So we haven't talked about voicemail strategy a ton because everyone wants to get into like the gritty cold call, right? And so what is your voicemail strategy? How does your first, second, third voicemail change? And then what does it actually sound like? How do you layer in tailoring into your voicemails? Very similar to an outbound email. In fact, if you've written a good outbound email, you should be able to just read it. And it makes sense to be a voicemail. It should be short. It should be no fewer or no more than about 125 words is sort of the rule of thumb that translates to somewhere between 30 and 60 seconds of talk time. And you should put your personalization up front in that email. So before introducing yourself or what you do, you should let them know why you're calling and try and make sure that you get that personalization in first because they're probably going to not listen through the whole thing if you lead with whatever it is about yourself first. Gotcha. And so how many voicemails do you typically leave? Do you leave one every single time or is there a certain cadence you have there? The intent of leaving voicemails is not to get a call back all the time. It is a piece of the familiarity of the awareness pie. And so why I always encourage people to leave a voicemail the first time they call for sure, because so many people now are not going to answer the phone when they don't know who's calling. And so if you call them and you leave a voicemail, very likely that they'll either listen to the voicemail or they'll at least view the transcript if it's on their iPhone and it gets transcripted. So that's nice. Don't leave a voicemail every time, though. You, you, you just don't have time for that. I would say maybe alternate is, is kind of the guidance that I give, where one time you leave a voicemail, the next time you don't, the next time you do, and you, you go that route. Yeah, we tested something really similar where I think what we've landed at is a max of three voicemails. Because if you've left like seven voicemails, eventually it's like you're just wasting your time talking to yourself. But the first one, we would do exactly what you're talking about, where we would lead with context and we would stop. And so if our buyer trigger was we work with a number of similar portfolio companies in the healthcare space, we would literally pick up the phone, basically say that and say, call me back without doing the whole pitch. 15 seconds, just get the context because they're like, oh, that's interesting. And then they'll go look at your email. And then the next voicemail, you can do the full pitch. Yeah, yeah, I love that. A tactic that worked really well for me was that my follow-up email, after I left a voicemail, the subject line is voicemail. That's it. So subject line voicemail, a line or two about, hey, just give you a call, must have missed you, insert your personalization again, hoping to catch you sometime soon. That's it. Huge open rate, huge response rate. And again, the goal of leaving voicemail is not necessarily only to get a call back. It's to show them that like, hey, man, I'm not going to leave you alone (laughs) until you respond to me one way or the other. So I'm coming at you from all these different channels. Like, please give me a response. Yeah. On that note, can you talk a little bit about subject lines? Because I've been trying to strike the right balance between getting opens and replies, but also not being spammy. I know I can be super spammy and put something weird in the subject line and get an open, but... I want to come across as like a relevant business professional, but I also need to get replies. What's your strategy around subject lines? I abide by the rule that subject lines and the first lines of your email should be working in tandem with one another. And the reason for that is because every single email client now will preview both the subject line as well as the first line or two. It's about 25 words of your email. And so you want your subject line to be as short as possible. 
so that you can maximize the real estate for that first line of your email, which is personalized, right? The kind of guidance that I give is your subject lines, and this takes practice, this takes time, and it takes a little bit of, a, of chutzpah here to pull off, but subject lines between one and three words is like kind of the gold standard for what you're trying to do. And if you can have that subject line bleed into the first line of your email, you're in really good shape. What do you mean by that? Armand, you mentioned that I have a corgi. And so something, I think probably one of the best personalized emails I've ever gotten was for a competitor of outreach and of sales loft. And their subject line was small, but mighty. And I was like, what is that all about? And I saw the, the initial, the first line in their email was like a corgi, we are small, but mighty when we're going up against giants like XYZ. And so it bled into the things that their value prop, their positioning against competitors, as well as things that are personal to me. And so if you can find a way to do that, that's kind of the key to the castle to get people to open and engage. So that's helpful because my issue with the personalization thing has always been like, hey, Armand, you went to USC, fight on. By the way, I want to sell you business intelligence software. <laughs> and he's like, these don't connect. And it's like, to me, that seems all right. Like you just did this to get my attention. So this person did something different. They blended the personalization with the message. Is that what you're having your teams do? Yeah, it's what we call the segue and mastering the art of this segue, first of all, very hard and second of all, very useful. <laughs> so I see a lot of advice from other sorts of people on LinkedIn where they're really inelegant about the way they transition from that personalized bit of research to their value prop where like they'll make a suggestion that says personalized line goes here and then here's how you segue. Here comes the annoying sales pitch. And that drives me crazy. Like, I just think that's such a waste of time because it's it's unprofessional. It's not smooth. It's just another sales pitch. So if you can take the time to really think about your value prop and you can be creative about the way you transition into that value prop, that is what will differentiate you. It's hard to do. And that's what makes you stand out from the crowd. That's what the Corgi thing did is... Look, the fact that you have a Corgi has absolutely nothing to do with sales automation. But I got a similar email that was, uh, I was a college wrestler and, and Nick and I were actually on the same team. And the guy's title was wrestling with your reps. I'm like, what the f was that? And so I opened it and he was talking, he like had a picture of me wrestling and he was like, you ever try to wrestle your reps into hitting the phones? And they're just like not making their cold calls. I know what that's like, man. And he did such a good segue. That ability to not just say like, Boom, you're a college wrestler. We sell cold calling tools and tie it together. Like that's an art and that's difficult. But when it's done well, man, it stands out. I remember every single email like that. Exactly. When it's seamlessly done, it makes a huge difference. And again, it makes you stand out. And so we've to kind of build this muscle on our sales team and with our SDR team, we templated a few different ways that you can segue based on different tactics that we were running. So we ran a direct mail campaign back before everybody was working from home and could actually direct mail people without being creepy and asking their home address. We would send people mugs, coffee mugs from their alma mater. So this is a very scalable and very personalized way to do this outreach. And then the way that we segued in our messaging was that sales leaders like yourself are starting their days with coffee and with Clary. And one thing that's an important to note is a lot of people, there are two polls. And one poll is like, you should start every email with dear or hello, comma, and you should never even say, hey. And then there's the other end of the spectrum that's like, I'm going to send you the, you're stuck under a rock and an alligator is about to eat you, eat you email. And that's also horrible. Both of those are awful. And so what you're doing is you're still showing some personality. You're getting somebody to smile. 
but you're doing it through great research. And that's the perfect balance that I think a lot of reps fail to properly address. Right, exactly. And I think a lot of reps also when they're starting, especially younger reps right out of college, I found, feel this strange inclination to be way too formal in the way that they write and speak with people that are five years older than them (laughs) making decisions at these companies. It's so strange. And, And what I try and tell them is be professional always, but never feel like you have to be formal. You should be speaking to somebody like you would actually talk. And so another tip that I would give that I do give people is read your emails out loud before you send them. Like literally read them out loud. You're going to feel like a crazy person, but you're working from home. Nobody can hear you anyway. Read them out loud. You'll find that a couple things. One, you're very likely saying I way too much. If you hear yourself saying I more than you or I or we, you're doing something wrong. So eliminate those I's. But also use language that you would use when you're speaking. Because again, if you write this email well, it's not just an email. It's also it can become your voicemail script and it can become all these things and it should be you and the way that you speak. So I think it's a really useful tip. Like talk to them like you'd talk to them at a happy hour, not like you're a formal in a bank and you're afraid and you're trying to get a loan. So the same thing applies. I mean, you see us texting back and forth all the time and these are really organic messages. And one of the things we talk about too is like, if you ever remember like that massive wall of text that you got from your crazy ex, that it shows desperation. And so your emails should look very similar. They should be short. They should be conversational. And so Kyle, you put some great content out there. And one thing that is particular about your content is it's extremely intentionally formatted. And so do you have any tips around how you actually format or structure an email from the body standpoint? Yes, for sure. So I mentioned it before, but 125 words is the limit. And way easier said than done. 125 words. And the reason for that is because so much consumption now is happening on your mobile phone. And if it's less than mobile phone, I sound 100 years old. Um, (laughs) When somebody's looking at your email on their phone, you get one scroll and that's it. And if your message is more than 125 words, you're going to make them scroll a bunch of times and you're going to lose them. So 125 word limit. And use white space. People who write, and I know Armand, this is near and dear to your heart, but people who write huge blocks of text, why? Like if it reads like a tome, like Moby Dick, like nobody's going to read it. The way that I think about things is separate thoughts go on separate lines. Every time you're making a different point or you're asking for something different or you want them to, to read something new in your email, it should be on a new line that's separated with white space. And the reason for that is because the way that our brains work is we scan, we scroll. And so if you want them to see the key points of every message, you need to make it very easy for them to scan and consume and digest quickly. We've talked about subject line email, but we haven't talked about email to email. And so what's the spacing typically between calls and emails? How hard are you hitting someone? How many touches over how many days? What I try and do is I never send or think that it's wise to send people more than two written messages per week. I think that's just landed on a little too thick. Typically, what we'll do is we'll do a email on day one. I always like to email first before calling. I don't think in this day and age, it's ever wise to do any like literal cold calling. I think you can always manufacture warmth in some way. So what we do to manufacture this warmth is we send the first email. It's educational. It's content-driven, very light call to action. Just, hey, putting clarity on your radar. Here's a piece of content that sales leaders like you find interesting. 
And then we'll go on LinkedIn and stalk them in a very friendly way, trying to see what they're posting, what they're all about, engaging with some of their content in a genuine way, genuinely engaging with content, and then making a call either on the same day as that first email or on the next day, then following up via email three to five days later as a chain, as a thread to that first note. And that I know it sounds super simple, but we have, I think the email that we send that gets the best response rate is that second email that's threaded to the first. And all it is, is one word, thoughts, question mark. Thoughts? That's good. And we get a huge, huge response rate to that. And this is, again, the way you scale your personalized outreach. You've already written a personalized email. That's your first touch. It's content-driven. It's a light ask. And you're following up with thoughts. Thoughts? And just see what they have to say. And then you kind of repeat that cadence as you go. No more than two written pieces of correspondence per week between email and LinkedIn is kind of my general rule of thumb. It could go up to three, but I definitely know more than three. Yeah, it's other than that, it's just spamming people. But it's such an interesting point because we have the exact same thing where the second email, for whatever reason, it just pops the reply rate. And it's something, especially salespeople tend to appreciate it. You guys are selling into sales leaders. And so I've I've had people that I've been reaching out to for the podcast, when I follow up two or three times, they're like, oh, that's what I like to see. And then they get on. There's something about that psychology of like, okay, this person's actually trying to get in touch with me. One other thing that we didn't talk about is the the layering in of LinkedIn connections and touches. And you've obviously got this big brand now. And so are your reps using LinkedIn messaging or in-mails at scale? Or do you find that that takes too much time? Absolutely, yes. They're using them, but not for every prospect. This is a whole new rabbit hole that I'm opening up here. So forgive me. But we segment our prospects into what we call above the line and below the line. Above the line prospects are ones that have decision-making authority, typically. Normally, that tracks pretty tightly with seniority. Below the line, people we still want to speak with, and they're still important, but they probably don't have decision-making authority. They're use case champions. They may be influential, but ultimately, they're not going to be the one signing the deal. And so we focus all of everything that we've talked about so far, all of the personalization, we focus entirely on folks who are above the line. For the folks that are below the line, we understand their day-to-day more. We know their pains. We know how Clary helps solve those pains. And so the automated stuff that's going out to them is very much applicable versus the higher level people that are more senior who have less day-to-day type things that we understand, who have more of a strategic vision, who are tighter with the corporate strategy. So we need to understand what the company is trying to do so that we can message around what both what the company is doing and what that sales leader is doing at that company. So that was a bit of an aside, but all of the LinkedIn messaging that we're doing is for those people who are above the line. And again, same sort of thing, like one LinkedIn message or connection request per week, roughly, as it relates to the rest of the kind of outbound cadence that we have going. A lot of people forget that. They'll ask, how much do you tailor your emails or how much time do you spend researching? And there's there's not one answer because if it's a bottom tier prospect, then you don't spend a lot of time. It's the golden prospect that's your $10 million deal you're going to send them some really, really good stuff. And so I love how you guys are tearing that out too. Yeah. And the kind of the rule of thumb or the guidance that we give the team is that you should roughly, roughly, this is going to change for every company, but I would suggest if any sales or SDR leaders are listening, you should have guidance for how many prospects you have actively cadenced or sequenced at any time. If you as a sales or SDR team or leader are using Outreach or Sales Loft, you have to give your team guidance on how many prospects they should have actively engaged. So we give guidance that you should have somewhere between 800 and 1,000 people actively engaged at all times and roughly 15 or 20%, let's call it 20% of those people should be above the line. 
So those are the kind of 150 to 200 people that you're paying really close attention to that you're executing these high touch tactics against. And the rest of them are automated and are happening in the background. So if we back that out, you talked about blocking your calendar effectively. And to get that many, it's not like on day one, boom, 800. And now let me just hit them for the next three weeks, right? And so how do you suggest reps block their calendar so that their prospecting time is aligned with those targets? We are very intentional about the ramp time that we give new SDRs and new salespeople. And the ramp that we build is very much a learn by doing ramp schedule. So throughout the course of their ramp, they're spending time shadowing top performers, they're spending time with their managers, and they're doing the work. They're building their prospect list without doing any outreach. They're just building that prospect list. And then every week from there on out, we have an expectation that you're adding new 50 to 100 new leads at the top of your funnel so that as people weed themselves out, you're constantly keeping yourself refreshed to avoid the peaks and valleys that would otherwise come from you doing everything at once and then running out of people to, to contact and then having to totally refill the pipe. So Kyle, we could go on for hours and hours and hours about prospecting, but this is by far the most we've gone into cold emailing tactics out of any guests that we've had. And so we've talked about a lot of the good habits out there, but we always like to talk about things that we need to stop doing right away. And so if there is one thing that every sales rep needed to stop doing right now, what would that be? Stop making calls for the sake of making calls or doing any sort of metric for the sake of the vanity metric. If you are doing anything, making calls, sending emails, any part of your job, that's just for the sake of looking good on a dashboard, you are not thinking. And this role, SDR, inside sales, sales in general, is so much more strategic than it used to be that you owe it to yourself to carve out time for that strategy, for that quality-oriented, research-driven outreach. Anything you want to leave with the audience before we sign off? No, no, this has been great. If anybody ever has any questions, like please feel free to reach out. I'm always happy to talk shop. All righty, guys, and definitely go follow Kyle on LinkedIn. He posts some really, really entertaining stuff. And everyone, hang on for a 60-second recap email. Come up soon. Your Zoom Info Actionable Insight Tactic is called Jane's Moving Up. Why? Because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect Jane just got promoted. From there in the email, explain how ZoomInfo helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by ZoomInfo's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. Your top four takeaways for the episode with Kyle Coleman include number one, five by five by five rule. Five minutes of research to find five insights on the person or account, and then write your message in five minutes or less. Number two, 
Use the white space in your emails and have one idea per line. Make the structure of the email and the tone conversational. Don't be a robot. Number three, keep your emails short. If you have to scroll more than once or if an email is over 125 words, fix it. Don't write essays. And then number four, have your emails reference your voicemails and have your voicemails reference your emails. Tailoring is not just for the emails. It's for every single part of the sales cycle. And so, Nick, how can people help us out? So... If you've made it this far in the episode, you either really like our content or you forgot to shut the episode off and this is playing in the background. If you're the former, instead of subscribing this week, we'd like you to go onto LinkedIn, find me, Nick Sigelski, find Armand, Armand Farouk, send us a connection request, mention in the request that you listened to this episode and you liked it, hated it, whatever. We'd love to talk with you. And make sure you spell Armand's name right. Apparently that's a pet peeve. Don't mess it up. Oh, man. I don't want to even mess it up. All right. We'll see you next week on 30 Minutes to President's Club. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90 Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes.